St. James. I'm glad that you guys are here. Uh, let me give you just a couple announcements before we get started. Um, so first of all, uh, the new service times, well not new service times, but the new service, uh, I guess, attendance thing. Um, so if you're coming to this service, uh, just remember the nine o'clock service if you can sign up online. 1015 service, you don't need to sign up, but if you can, continue wearing your mask and give people uh, appropriate space uh, when you're in here. Everything is on schedule this week, so we have um, adult Bible study at 12.30, youth confirmation at 11.30 today, youth group at uh, Tuesday evening, men's Bible study Tuesday morning, women's Bible study Saturday morning. Tonight at 5 o'clock, Angela and I are going to be here at the church, and we're going to pray, and whoever wants to come can come, and if nobody comes, Angela and I will pray with each other here at the church, but if you want to join us, please feel free to do so. Uh, What else do I need to say? Uh, check out the other announcements. There's a high school announcement in there. Uh, check out the announcement about the, uh, the blessing blocks, the fundraiser for the uh, youth group mission trip coming up. And then lastly, let me, um, we're going to do communion. Uh, we're, gonna, we're transferring back to doing communion at the rails today. So it's always awkward, even like when we weren't in the virus. It's always awkward getting up here and getting back. So just re- don't worry about it. If you don't know where to go, just kind of fill in a spot. Uh, try to give space between your family or the people that you're with and other people when you're up here. Just be appropriate. Uh, also, do, you don't need to kneel. Don't kneel. We're, we don't have any plans to like sanitize the rail. So if you just stand and meet us there. And um, if, you're, if you don't remember doing this, we'll fill in on both sides so that we're all around. And then when you're done, just get back to your seat as best as you can. And uh, we'll, make, we'll make the best of it. It's always kind of uh, awkward to get up here, but we'll do it. I think that's all I have, so let's uh, stand with me, and I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then we will continue worshiping.
All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for being uh, such a good God and for loving us so much. And we thank you for your promise that where two or three of us are gathered together, that you are here. And so we know that you are present this morning. And that, of course, is exactly what we need. We don't need information about you. We don't need to necessarily be just hanging out here singing. We need you to come and give yourself to us. And so we're praying this morning that you powerfully will show us to yourself in all of your holiness and righteousness and beauty and love. That's what we need. And so we're asking for that in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's pray to God and confess our sins together. Holy, 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 you are, O Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Your holiness frightens us. It fills us with awe. It fills us with wonder. What else can we do but fall down before you and confess our woe? We are lost. We are a people of unclean lips and unclean thoughts. The light of your holiness only reveals the darkness of our sin. Holy, 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 you are, O Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Your holiness is white hot, converting our sin. Send your seraphim to us with burning coals from your altar, that our guilt be taken away and our sin forgiven. Holy, 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 you are, O Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Your holiness is frightening, all-consuming. Sanctify us to your service. Make us holy that we might be your people, that we might reflect your glory and serve you forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray, whoever stands before the altar of heaven, our mediator, who presents before your holy majesty our prayer and supplication, now and evermore. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn.
Psalms from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading is from uh, Numbers 21, and uh, we'll talk about this on Wednesday night. The other uh, text. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. And then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is uh, Ephesians 2, uh, 1 through 10. Paul says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, happy in the lines if you guys want to come up. So baptism. Uh, can I talk for just a few minutes about what's going on with uh, Christian baptism? God is uh, writing. God is currently writing this uh, fantastic story, where uh, you know He builds this beautiful creation and calls it good, and then uh, we humans rebel against Him and mess the whole thing up. God does not give up on His creation. God is determined to win back what humans have taken from Him, and He's determined to do it through a human, uh, Jesus. And the way that He connects us to this story is the Bible makes clear is through faith. Uh, we're saved by faith. We're, we buy into this story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, where do we get faith from? We get faith from God's Word. Romans 10 says that uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's many different ways that God gives us His Word. His Word in written form, you can read the Bible and hear God's voice. His Word preached out loud when God's Word is taught, when God's Word is preached, when you talk about God's Word with your friends. God Himself is speaking, 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says, Another way that God gives us his word, though, is in the sacraments. Uh, something physical, something tangible, like water. Why would Happy need this? Like, Happy believes in Jesus. She's been regenerated. She's a Christian. Well, God gives faith in many different ways. Happy has uh, this internal faith. Her mind assents to and her heart believes in Jesus. But I've given this illustration before. Like, it's not good enough just to tell my daughter that I love her. That gives her this knowledge that I love her internally. I also should be giving her hugs. 
because she has a body and she also has a soul. And so her body needs this promise of my love to her as well. And we're the same way. This is why God gives us baptism, because God tells us he loves us in his word, but he also shows us physically that he loves us in baptism. He puts his sign on us. He gives us, I know this is kind of cheesy, but he gives us a hug. He gives us his love physically in baptism. Super important, super powerful. And so uh, Happy is a part of this story too. Happy's a part of the story where God is coming to rescue the world through Jesus Christ, and he's using us, and he's using Happy. He's using you guys to do this, and baptism is a huge part of that. Today, God's putting his physical sign on Happy as his daughter. So Happy, um, I'm, I'm, so, I'm super glad that you're here. I just, uh, I, just, one more thing, like adult baptisms are so powerful. I love infant baptisms, but like when, um, when an adult person comes and confesses faith in Jesus, it's super powerful. And I would also, I know that a bunch of you uh, know Happy, that you go to school with her, and she lives with the Langs. But uh, you should get to know Happy because she's an amazing, uh, amazing young lady. So, Happy, I'm going to uh, put the sign of the cross, receive the sign of the cross upon your forehead and upon your heart, marking you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified and risen. Let's pray. God, we praise you for the story that you're writing in our life and the story that you're writing in Happy's life and how you've pulled Happy's story into our story. And we pray this morning as you put your sign on her that she through whatever she goes through in life, whenever she's uh, lonely, whenever she's struggling with her own brokenness and her sin, whenever she's struggling with her own mortality and facing her death, that you would always remind her that she is a baptized daughter of yours and that you would keep her faithful in this promise that you're making to her, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would be faithful to her and that you would keep her faithful to you to the very end. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you some questions, Happy, and just say, yes, I do, if you do. Do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? Yes, I do. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Yes, I believe. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried? He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to ju judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in this, Jesus? Yes, and do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting? Yes, I believe. Do you desire to be baptized? Yes, I do. Then, and lean over here. Then, happy, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And may God, who has caused you to be born again of water and the Spirit, and has forgiven all your sins, may this same God strengthen you with his grace unto life everlasting. Amen. The Lord preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Thank you, Langs. And you can return to your seat, and if we will all stand and we'll sing the sermon hymn together.
Holy Gospel according to St. John chapter 3. Uh, this is Jesus talking, and he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so a reference to our Old Testament reading, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in Jesus, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Uh, you can be seated. So uh, let's talk about uh, John 3.16 this morning. And I know that, uh, I know that for, for those of you who grew up in church, you're like, okay, I know this, yeah, we've done this since I was like in second grade. But if you can't, I, so this is going to be super simple. I'm not, um, um, I'm just going to make this as simple as I can and also as quick as I can and uh, just talk about John 3.16 and hopefully say some things that are fresh and um, help us think about God and God's love for us in ways that maybe we haven't thought of before, if, if I can do that, okay? So um, John 3.16, super famous. It tells us a few things. It tells us a lot of things about God's love, but if I can point out three things that it tells us about God's love this morning. Uh, one is that God's love is giving. Two, God's love is personal. And then three, God's love is transforming. So let's talk about those three things. So first of all, uh, God's love is giving. This is what, the, I mean, this is, again, I promise, this is going to be super simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's love, God's love is a giving love. God's love is a giving love. We have, um, I've said a few of these things before too, some of you, this, uh, some of you before. But we have an issue with, uh, we have to talk about this, uh, the word love and how we usually use the word love. We usually use the word love as humans, and this is, this is not bad, by the way. We usually use the word love to mean like joyful consumption, right? Like, I really love racquetball. means I like to play racquetball. I get enjoyment out of playing racquetball, so I play racquetball. Um, I, I, love, uh, I love red wine means that I like to drink red wine. I, I love it, and so I like to consume it, right? Uh, I love a certain style of music means I like to listen to that style of music. Usually the word love means joyful consumption. And of course then the problem, uh, and we, again we've talked about this before, the problem though is that we use that definition of the word love typically to think about how we think of other human beings as well. Like, I really like that guy, he's super funny. And what I mean is like, when I say I like him or I love him is that he does something for me, he makes me laugh, right? Or... I just love her, like I love my daughter to death, she's so cute. I put those two things together and part of the love, you know, when I use the word love like that, part of the, me loving her is that she's super cute, is that I like her. And this is the way we just normally talk. Um, so the Beatles uh, sing that song. So my daughter, my middle daughter's written to the Beatles right now, so I think about the Beatles a lot. Uh, the song, uh, because, uh, you know, because you're sweet and lovely, girl, I love you. This is just a normal that's a normal way we think about love is because you're sweet and lovely, girl. I love you. Why do you love me? Well, I love you because you're sweet and you're lovely. And of course, uh, the weight that's on that is, the unspoken weight frequently is, so what about when I'm not sweet? What about someday when I'm not lovely? What happens then? Well, uh, let's not talk about that right now. I mean, there's, there's a lesson here, right? Our love should be giving like God's love. But let's talk about Jesus' love as giving. Jesus, because Jesus is, because Jesus' love is a giving love, his love does not depend upon anything that we can offer. In fact, it actually functions better. Jesus' love for us functions better when we know that we don't have anything to offer. When I'm completely aware of my own unlovableness, Jesus' love is more actualized. Right. I've done, um, this is because Jesus' love is a giving love. J Jesus' love is um, active, not reactive. So I've, I've, I've had in uh, marriage counseling before, this has happened, 
uh, you know, a couple will come in and they'll be fighting with each other and they'll be kind of at each other. And whenever it gets like that, by the way, it's usually, it usually turns into a contest. Like, I'm going to prove that I'm right and I'm going to prove that you're wrong. And it could be about anything. And it could be about any sort of dumb thing. And I mean, anybody who's got friends or who's been married knows that you can argue about dumb stuff. And what I'll see, what happen is like that, that fight, that, that loggerheads will happen until like one of, the, one of the spouses will say, you know what, like I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, like this is my fault. And it's really cool to see that whenever that happens, the other spouse will instantly melt as well, as well because seeing the other person needy will stir up in them a type of love that doesn't like react to like, you know, I'm mad at you. The reason why we're sitting here in front of this pastor, guys, because we're not getting along. But I can see that you need me right now. And that love will be stirred up. This happens with, like, um, like your kids, too. Like, you're, you know, you have a kid, and the kid, you know, you're, you, everything's fine and normal. But if the kid gets hurt, instantly, if you've had kids, you know what I'm talking about, instantly your heart, like, leaps out to them. There's something about them being hurt that fires up love inside of you. It's not like you didn't love them before, but it's something about the nature of this sort of like self, self-sacrificial giving love that gets inspired by the need of the other. And we're going to come back to this at the end, but I do want to emphasize right now that your unlovableness, and again, I'm going to unpack this more at the third point, your unlovableness, far from being a, a barrier to your actual lovability, is, actual, is in God's eyes, it's the first requirement to being lovable is that recognizing the fact that you're unlovable again more on that um more on that later god's god's love for you is a giving love but god's love for you is also this is the second point god's love for you is also personal so for god so loved the world uh, that that he gave his only son Uh, god's love is a giving love but it's also a personal love god gives his only son in other words God's love is not informational, primarily. God's love is, it's, when I say personal, I mean, can I give you a fancy theological word? It's incarnational, like it's embodied, it's there. Think about all the different ways that we say, I love you. Like you can, um, you know, you can do it with a love song. Like in my generation, you know, you make somebody a mixtape and send it to them. Uh, you can do it with, uh, if you're in a different generation, you can buy like a greeting card that says I love you. Uh, you can use emojis to say I love you. Or you can just use words. And all those things are good, but they're not enough. For love to really be love, it has to be actualized. It has to be embodied. It has to be incarnate. It has to be personal. There has to be a person behind it. Again, to go back to the uh, marriage counseling thing, This is super common too. It's super common in all of our relationships. You hear stuff like, well, she says that she loves me, but she knows that I want her not to work late in the evenings, and she keeps on working late. What's that person saying? Is like, okay, she says she loves me. The words are there, but like her person isn't there. (laughs) Like she's not home. I'm glad for the words, but I want her to be home. A lot of times we think about the Bible as like, I mean, you hear people say this is God's love letter to us. What's going on with Christianity is not that God has a message of love for you, but that God has a person of love for you, that God is not giving you information about how he loves you. He's actually coming to join up with you, to love you. That makes sense of everything else. If if God is here, if Jesus comes to make himself like us and to be with us, then the emotions of love are totally appropriate and fall into place. The information about his love, when he says he loves us in his word or in holy baptism, it makes sense. If he's not here, though, it's just emptiness. Like the person that says, I love you, but then just forgets about your birthday party. It's just words. It doesn't make any sense. Love is at its biblical essence, incarnational and personal. It's not primarily emotional. If it was, then facial expressions or poetry or mixtapes, or like expressions of emotion would completely capture. It's also not intellectual, else me telling you with language that I love you would be sufficient. Or rational explanations, again, like, well, I love you because you're funny. 
I love you because you're good looking. I love you because you've always been nice to me. And again, the weight of that, no human can bear the weight of that because no human can always be funny and good looking and always be nice to you. But if love is personal, then there's a place for the emotional and the rational and all the rest. And thank God, right? So for those of you who are Christians, you know this, thank God that he himself became personal. He took on flesh so that whenever we were lonely, he would be there. It's not that God says to you, don't be lonely. It's that God comes to be with us. It's not that God says, you should be sorry for your sin. It's that God himself comes here to carry our sins on his own shoulder. It's not that God says, hey, you're going to die. And, you know, this doesn't make any sense, but I'll pray for you, right? I mean, God actually comes so that he can die with us. So that when, at the moment of your death, that the dead and crucified Jesus is right there, but he's also the risen Jesus. And so your new life is guaranteed. Love is essentially, the love of Jesus, the love of God is essentially personal. Right? It's giving, but it's also personal. And here's the last one. Love is also transformative. So God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God wants to transform you. He wants to shape you and, uh, and mold you by his love. I should have mentioned this earlier, but that word, the world there, in John, the word world is, John doesn't mean like the globe. He also, what he means is the evil cultural system that stands behind all the dark forces of the universe. The thing that stands behind um, bad leaders, the thing that stands behind loneliness, the thing that stands behind tidal waves and cancer, the the thing that stands behind your addiction to the thing that you're struggling with, the word world for John works for all of that. That's the world, and it's working against you. So when, when John says here, when, when Jesus says here in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the emphasis not is, there not, is, is not so much on the bigness of the world, but on the badness of the world. God loves bad things. Bad things actualize his love. It fires up his love because God loves to transform. Now, for a few minutes, look at this. We're going to read through the rest of the text and talk about what does it mean that God's love transforms. And I'm going to try, we're going to start at verse 17, and we're going to try and think about what is God's love doing here that is transformative. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, so God, there's a false view of God that goes like this. Jesus, Jesus is standing there, and he is going to either condemn you, or he's going to rescue you someday. And he's waiting to see. And if you don't do what he wants you to do, if you don't believe in him, he's going to, he's going to say you're condemned. But John 3.17 says that Jesus is not here to condemn. He doesn't say that there is no such thing as condemnation. He just says that Jesus is not interested in condemning you. Jesus is interested in saving you. Jesus' mission is purely positive here in John 3.17. Okay, so where does condemnation come from then if it does exist? We'll keep on going here in verse 18. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See what he's saying? If you do not believe in Jesus, it's not that Jesus is condemning you. It's just your status. Jesus doesn't condemn you. You're already self-condemned. Now, I, I, I really would like to spend some time talking about what does it mean to be self-condemned. It's not necessarily this, on the final day, there's going to be like the gavel's going to come down and you're going to drop through the floor straight into the pit of hell. That's not exactly what, what that, that, doesn't, that doesn't capture everything that the Bible means when it talks about self-condemnation. And I don't have time to get into this, but I'm just going to tease this out a little bit. You already know what self-condemnation is. You already know what it means to lay down your head on the pillow at night and know that I'm a big screw-up. To know that, like, I tried to be cool today, and it, I know I wasn't. Like, I was talking to the people like I really cared about them, but I was actually sort of manipulating them. I had this plan to, to manipulate them. Or I, whatever it is, I don't know whatever it is, you know. It could be anything, but you know that you are already self-condemned. And when Jesus comes, and he comes, and he sees you, and he knows that you're self-condemned, and he knows that you're unlovable, but his mission is to love you anyway. I'll tell you how that works. Keep on reading verse 19. This is the judgment. The judgment of condemnation is the light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And now he's going to describe this with a sort of uh, cockroach analogy here. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. So how can you tell who is still in their self-condemnation and who is not, who's been saved? 
Those of us who are still in our self-condemnation, we run away from Jesus. The light is Jesus, right? John 1 says this. John 1 calls him the light. In John 8, he's going to call himself the light of the world. We run from that. We don't want that because we don't want our works exposed. We don't want to be around Jesus because it's too nasty to look like, you know, the light of Jesus comes on and you can see all that junk coming out of your pores. And you would just prefer the dim lighting. You don't want to be around that sort of thing. The ones who are saved, though, aren't self-righteous. They have nasty pores, too. But what they do instead of running from the light is they run to the light. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, what does this mean? It doesn't mean that, like, I have super clean pores, and so I'm going to go to Jesus, and when he shines the light on me, everybody's going to see, and Jesus is going to see, like, whoa, you've got amazingly smooth skin. That's, that's, that's not what's going on. In the Gospel of John, the light of Jesus transforms us from nasty skin to beautiful, uh, to beautiful skin. I, I mentioned this just a second ago. In John 8, a few verses later, Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in dark, darkness, but will have that light of life. He's not saying that, like, if you're good, follow me. He's saying, if you follow me, I'll give you the light. He's not saying, if you have the light, come follow me. He's saying, if you, if you follow me, I'll give you the light. You can't have the light unless you go to the light. So here, here's, there's a lot there, but here's what I'm trying to say, basically. The light of Jesus shapes and transforms you into what he wants you to be. I'm talking about God's love. God's love transforms you into lovable. Now, I know that a lot of you have problems with this. I know that a lot of you, and me too, I'm not, so I, I shouldn't fake it and act like I'm like, okay, I've got this figured out. If, if, if somebody says to you, hey, God loves you, you don't even hear it. You might, there might be this safe youth confirmation place in your brain where you can go and be like, oh yeah, God loves me. But you, you can't feel the weight of it because you can't imagine that anybody could love you. You look into your brain at night, you look at your skin in the morning, and you know that nobody can love this. And because we have this bad definition of love, where love is reactive, not active, love is joyful consumption, and I'm not saying you shouldn't talk like that. I'm not saying you should stop saying I love cheeseburgers. But when you're thinking about God, you should never think God loves me means that I must be lovable. That's the, you know, um, I must have done something good song at the end of Sound of Music where, the, you know, these two weirdos fall in love and they're singing this song like, you know, you know there's, there must have been something in my youth or childhood that I did good to get you. It's actually the, the, the exact opposite of biblical love because, better way to say it, God does not love you because you're lovable. You are lovable because God loves you. So he, you don't get to decide if you're lovable or not. You, you just don't. You're, that's not your choice because... Now, I know, like, one of the things I could do, I could do the pop psych thing, and I could say, you know what, I just want to encourage you guys to go home and look in that mirror and tell yourself you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, you're worthy of love. I could tell you to do that, and it just wouldn't work because people who tell themselves that all the time never, ever actually end up believing it. You can, you can fake yourself through it. You can say, I just love, I lear I've learned to love myself, but you know people who say that, and the trade-off they've made is, I have to hate everybody else. Usually the people who say, I, I love myself, are the people who say, I don't care what anybody says about me, I've learned to love myself. That's the trade-off, is that you lower everybody else in your own mind. And I don't want you to make that trade-off, because that's not biblical either. What I am saying is, is that the message of the gospel is not that you're unlovable. It's not that you're lovable. It's that you're now lovable because God loves you. Your unlovableness has turned into lovableness because God loves you. It's super important that you believe this. It's super important that you buy into the fact that in spite of who I am, God's active, not reactive love has reached out to me and said, this person's lovable. And you can say, no, I'm not. And he's going to say, you don't get to decide because I love you. And that means you're lovable. It comes from outside of yourself. And that love transforms you into lovableness. Let me close with this great quote. This is one of my favorite things. This is from G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy. And he's talking about a neighborhood in London called Pimlico, which in G.K. Chesterton's day, so we're talking about 100 years ago, 
had turned into kind of a rundown sort of slum. And here's what he says about Pimlico, that neighborhood. He says this, let's suppose that we're confronted with a desperate thing, say a Pimlico, the neighborhood of Pimlico. If we think that what's really best for Pimlico, if, if we think what is really best for Pimlico, we shall find the thread of thought leads to the throne of the mystic or the, or the arbitrary. And here's, here's what he says. It's not enough for a man to disapprove of Pimlico to say, I don't like that neighborhood. It's junky and slummy. In that case, he'll merely cut his throat if he lives there or he'll just get up and move to Chelsea. Nor certainly is it enough for a man to approve of Pimlico to say, I just take Pimlico as I find it. Or, you know, I just accept everybody. Or, like, God should just accept everybody. Because then it's just going to stay Pimlico. It's always going to be a ghetto slum, which would be awful. The only way out of it, he says, now here's where I want you to really start paying attention. The only way out of it seems to be for somebody to love Pimlico. To love it with a transcendental tie and without any earthly reason. Now, in this section here in Orthodoxy, he's talking not about Pimlico, of course. He's talking about God's love for us. And he's making this point that God's love for you is irrational. And that's the best kind of love. Your love for your best friend should be irrational. Super rational, maybe, is how I should say it. It shouldn't have any reasons. I love you because you're pretty. What happens when you're not pretty? Well, then my love goes away. God, if Pimlico is going to be rescued, somebody has to love it. Not accept it, but love it, even though it's a slum. Then Pimlico, if that would happen, then Pimlico would rise into ivory towers and golden pinnacles. Pimlico would attire herself as a woman does when she is loved. Because decoration is not given to hide horrible things, but to decorate things already adorable. Okay, cultural reference here. A mother doesn't give her child a blue bow because he is so ugly without it. A lover does not give his girl a necklace to hide her neck. If men loved Pimlico as mothers love children, arbitrarily, merely because it's theirs, Pimlico in a year or two might be fairer than Florence. Some readers will say that this is a mere fantasy, and I answer that this is actually the history of mankind. This, as a fact, is how cities grow great. Go back to the darkest roots of civilization, and you will find them knotted around some sacred stone or encircling some sacred well. People first paid honor to a spot and afterwards gained glory for it. Last line, uh, this is my favorite line. Men did not love Rome because she was great. She was great because men loved her. That's how I want you to think. John 3.16 is what the message is, is that God's love is a giving love. It's a personal incarnation love, and it's a transforming love. And what I mean by that last thing is this, is that you are loved not because you're great, you are great because God loves you. You are loved not because you're lovable, but you are lovable because God loves you. There is nothing actually inside of you that's worthy of love except for the most valid, the most legitimate declaration of love ever, which is God looks at you and says, no questions asked, I love you. Stand with me and let's pray and then we'll have communion. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for loving us and for being a good God, and we thank you for uh, th th this transcendental, super-rational, incarnational love where you bind yourself to us, who, are, of course, aren't worthy of your love, have done nothing to deserve your love, certainly aren't beautiful. We've got horrible skin, and we've got horrible attitudes, and you've become like us to rescue us, to transform us into beautiful creatures shaped and fashioned according to your desire and according to your gospel plan. And all, all we can do, God, is like th there's a certain sort of pride in me that wants to reject that and say, no, that's okay. But like, God, help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to accept this transformative love from you. Lord, in your mercy. God, I thank you for happy again, and I thank you for your gift of baptism and this promise that you're a God who's here and loves us, that you're not a God in our brain that you're not some sort of like deistic God sitting up there in the clouds looking down and shouting down that you love us, but that you've come here to be with us, that you've given us yourself and your son, Jesus Christ, that all of him, body and soul, saves all of us, body and soul. And just pray that we'll always remember this promise of baptism, that we belong to you, that all of us belongs to you. Lord, in your mercy. God, put us on mission. Put St. James on mission God, you have this incredibly fantastic plan to rescue Glenn Carbon for yourself and to do it in all the different socioeconomic classes and in all the different races. And 
God, we want to be a part of this. We want your gospel to live and glow and shine through us. We don't want to be trapped in this room. We don't want, uh, we don't want what we are to be an event right now on Sunday mornings. We want to be powered up by your word and by your sacraments to be transforming Glenn Carbon in your name. We need you to do it, though. Of course, we don't have the skills to do this. We don't have the ability to do this, honestly. We don't even have the desire to do this on our own. We need you to work and to will your good pleasure through us and by the power of your Holy Spirit to light us on fire and put us on mission here in Glen Carbon. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I pray that you would be with our sister churches. Uh, I pray this morning for our LCMS churches that you would guide and that you would bless them. I pray also for every gospel-believing, Bible-preaching church in this area that this morning as your word is, pre- as your word is preached and believed, And as your people worship you in song, that your name would be glorified. And more than that, that you would be transforming us into being kingdom people for you. That we, all of us, your entire church here in Edwardsville and Glen Carbon, would see your kingdom grow and grow and grow and not stop growing until your son Jesus returns. Lord, in your mercy. God, we can only come into your throne room and pray these things because you have sent your son and he has shed his blood and risen from the dead for us, and he has bound us to himself in such a way that you look at us and you call us your daughters and your sons, and you invite us to sit on your lap and to speak to you as our Father. And so we are asking you these requests, trusting you in your infinite power and in your infinite love for us to answer them according to your will. And of course, we can only pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Please stand. And now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. And now say the nunc dimittis with me. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. If you're comfortable doing this, find somebody that you don't recognize and go talk to them and start to build a relationship. Go in peace, guys.